My name's Tim. I serve here as teaching pastor, and uh, we are starting a new teaching series this morning. We're calling it Praxis. Uh, Praxis, uh, the word is a noun, uh, and it means it's the process by which an idea or a concept is embodied or enacted or realized or made real. Praxis. Praxis is how a uh, blueprint becomes a building. Praxis is how a uh, 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 sheet music becomes a symphony. Praxis is how a script becomes a live play. It's a process that that, that this concept is made real in the world. And um, if you open up a Greek Bible today, uh, and you go to this book in the Bible called Acts of the Apostles, uh, in Greek it'll say praxis apostole, that that praxis is about action, it's about practice, and... um, and so we're going to be looking, as we go through this series, we're going to be looking at this book called Acts, Acts of the Apostles, this book about the first followers of Jesus, and this idea about how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, how that is continued forward, how that's built into the human community, how that starts something that continues and grows uh, in this world. And so uh, over the coming months, we're going to be looking at Acts and this idea of praxis, how is this, what Jesus started, how does it continue to build in our world? And so that's where we're going to be headed together. So we're going to begin this morning um, in Acts 1-1 in just a moment. I want to also alert you in your bulletin. uh, There's a sheet. If you're a note taker, there's a sheet in there. It looks like this. Uh, Feel free to take that out. Take some notes. um, Because if the whole idea is is embodying this, living it out, enacting it in the real world, part of that is is, uh, meditating on it, wrestling with it, asking questions about it. Uh, What does this mean in our lives today? So I encourage you to take those notes there. And uh, yeah, l- before we go into Acts 1-1, let me, let me pray for us and we'll get started. Oh, Father, Son, Spirit, uh, we, uh, we thank you um, that these words that we're about to read, uh, that you inspired them to be recorded um, so many thousand years ago. Uh, we thank you that you, you kept them safe through history, that we could read them and talk about them this morning. And thank you that um, they're not just things that happened back then and there, but they're words by which you speak to us here and now. And so I pray uh, for our community. I pray that you, uh, you speak to us this morning. You help us hear what you have to say. And I pray specifically as we move into, as we move into this next year, as we move into 2015, I pray... Um, that if there's any dark places in our lives, that you speak a word of light this morning. Pray if there's any places in our lives where we are facing discouragement, that you speak a word of hope. I pray in any places in our lives that there's apathy, I pray that you speak a word of passion. And pray if there's any places that there's exhaustion or tiredness, that you speak a word of renewal this morning. We know that you are the living God who speaks still today, so please meet us here. We open ourselves up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at Acts 1, uh, the first 11 verses in Acts 1. Acts is, uh, it's in the New Testament, it's after the book of John, it's way to the right after the book of John, before the book of Romans, and uh, I'm going to offer a few thoughts on it, and then we're going to have a little time for reflection uh, this morning. So, Uh, this is how the book of Acts begins. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began 
to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So there's a guy, uh, there's a guy the author of this book, his name is Luke. Uh, Luke was a doctor, a physician, and he wrote two books in our New Testament. He wrote the book that we call Luke, named after himself, which was a biography, an ancient biography about Jesus, um, about his life, death, and resurrection. And then he wrote the sequel to it, which we call Acts. Uh, and the book of Acts is about the first followers of Jesus, the early church, um, what, it, what it looks like for them to implement the things Jesus started in their world, in that ancient Roman world of their day. But I think it's, it's fascinating how Luke frames this book of Acts. Do you catch what he said? He said, His first book, the biography about Jesus, was what Jesus began to do and to teach. So for Luke, he says, says the, the, the biography about Jesus, that was just what Jesus began to do and to teach. And the implication then is this book of Acts, this this book about the early church, the first followers of Jesus, the implication is even though Jesus is going to be physically absent, that somehow mysteriously by his presence, this book is still about what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach. That even though, that even Joe, that we'll, in a moment we'll see that Jesus ascends, that he goes into heaven, that there's a way that Jesus is still doing and teaching through his first followers. I find this interesting. Think about, um, think for a moment about uh, why books like Luke and Acts would get written down. So Luke, this, this, uh, this biography of Jesus, and then Acts, this history of the early church, what kind of, what would be going on in, in the church in that time that would cause these kind of books to get written down? I mean, I think there are probably a number of causes, but I think one of the things that was probably happening in that time and place is it the, the eyewitnesses who saw those things, those people who actually walked with Jesus and were Jesus, uh, and were with Jesus, the people who were, who were there for these events in the early church, I think those people, that generation was beginning to die off. Because up to that point, that, um, before that, when the eyewitnesses around, you could just go, you could be like, oh, Joe was there. You, he'll tell you the story about what Jesus did. You should ask him about it. But as that generation died off, it's like the, as, the, as the World War II generation begins to die off, people want to interview them and get their stories down. And so in the early church, the eyewitness generation is beginning to pass away. And people are saying, we need to get these stories written down and recorded. But part of the dynamic would be, I think part of the dynamic, as they saw that eyewitness generation that was there right at the beginning passing away, I think there'd be this sense, there'd, there'd, there'd be the sense of, oh, the good old days are in the past. I think for the, the, the readers of this book, there'd be a danger of, yeah, though, that was the generation that was there for the big times. That, I mean, that, the, the good days are behind us now. The best times are in the past. And for the, the readers of this, I think something Luke is trying to say to his readers is, is even though you weren't there, even though you weren't the eyewitnesses, Luke is trying to say, Jesus still has more to do. He's only begun to do things and teach things. He's just gotten the ball rolling. There is more to come. I wonder this morning for, for us here in this room, I wonder if it wouldn't be helpful for Luke for Jesus, through the book of Luke, to say to some of us in this room this morning, Jesus has more to do and to teach in your life in this next year. 
I wonder if in a room the size, if, if there aren't some of us in our own personal walk with Jesus, if there's not sometimes a sense that the best days are behind me. The most intimate days with me and God are behind me. The days when I was really passionate, when God was really doing things and teaching things to me, those are behind me. But Luke writes, Jesus has only begun to do and teach things. I wonder if he doesn't want to say to you this morning, Jesus has more to do in your heart. He has more to teach you. I wonder for some of us, if we're not in a a core or small group, that maybe it's begun to feel a little tired or feel a little uh, routine or mundane. That the best days in our group, when God was really doing things through us and teaching things to us, that those are behind us now. And I wonder if Jesus doesn't want to say to us this morning, he's only begun to do and teach things. He's just getting the ball rolling. He has more to do through you, more to teach to you. Christianity is the only religion that claims its founder continues to be at work even after his death. Luke is claiming after the death of Jesus, because of his resurrection and ascension and the giving of the Spirit, he is still at work today. He's only began to do things and to teach things. There is more to come. Following Jesus, the Christian movement, is essentially a movement of hopefulness, of expectation. Because Jesus isn't done yet. He has more to do. He has more to teach. We look forward to it. So this is how Luke frames um, the book of Acts, which we could call the deeds and teachings of King Jesus part two. Um, And uh, so let's pick up and see what happens next in verse three. Luke continues, he says, after his suffering, that is Jesus' suffering, that's his death, after his suffering, um, and then implied is his resurrection, he, Jesus, presented himself to them, that is his apostles, his close friends, those 12 followers, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Of God, He gave many convincing proofs to them. I, sometimes it's interesting. I'll be, I'll be reading something and people uh, will claim the Gospels are, uh, they're myths. They're just, they're myth. These early myths that developed in the first century. And I think to myself, myths? How can you claim they're myths? Because I, I could understand if you're not, if, if you don't subscribe, if you don't believe um, in Jesus, I could see how somebody would say, well, I don't believe they're the word of God. I could understand someone saying that. But I can't understand someone saying they're myths. Because, uh, because even if you don't take them as the word of God, you still have to take them seriously as historical documents from the first century. And Luke, if you read his first work, the book of Luke, he very clearly says that he's writing history. In the, in, in the introduction to the book of Luke, he says, he says, look, I think it's important to write an orderly account of the things that happened. And so I've gone, I've investigated, I've talked to eyewitnesses, I've interviewed them, and so I've written this historical account so you would know what really happened. As a historical document, Luke is claiming to be writing facts about history. And he goes on, and here, very similarly, when he's talking about Jesus' resurrection, he says, Jesus gave proof, verifiable, demonstrable proof to his followers that he really rose from the dead. 
And so Luke is claiming, he's, I'm writing history. Yes, I'm also talking about the theology, the significance of it, but I'm not talking about less than history. And so if we're going to take these um, seriously as historical documents, we have to understand, Luke is saying he's writing things that happened in space-time history. Jesus gave proofs he was resurrected. One of these proofs was that he ate meals with his followers, which is what we see happens next. Verse 4, on one occasion... While he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Jesus' response to this question is essentially a facepalm. He's just like, guys, will you drop it already? There's a, a, a Reformation theologian, his name was John Calvin. He said, there are as many errors in this question as there are words. It, because, because essentially what they're asking is they're saying, so uh, Jesus, he's done all this teaching about how to live and how to follow, you know, how to follow him and what, what it's going to be like when he's gone. And then, and then his disciples say, so Jesus, are you now going to immediately give us this military political victory and have our ethnicity and nation on top of everybody? Is that going to happen now? And he's, he's like, I mean, basically, Jesus, are you going to go all Rambo William Wallace now and the Romans and just kind of destroy all our enemies and, and, and put us in your throne room so we can live comfortable lives, you know, on top of everything? And he, he's, guys, why? No, that's not, have you been listening? And I just, I'm very encouraged by the disciples because I think I can, I, I can be a disciple too. If this is, yeah, I'm very, I'm encouraged. So, because essentially they're, um, he said they, they want this immediate military political victory that puts their nation ethnicity on top. And Jesus says, that's not, what this, that's not where this movement is headed. Ultimately, their question is about external circumstances. Their question is about, Jesus, are you going to make our external circumstances comfortable for us now? Jesus, are you going to take the external circumstances in my life and make them the way I want them to be so I can be comfortable and feel like I'm winning now? Are you going to, are you going to rearrange the circumstances in my world so it'll feel like I'm on top now? And this is his response to them. He said to them, well, first he said, he said, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, I'm not... I'm not going to rearrange the external circumstances of your world, but I am going to give you my spirit. At the, uh, we had an elders meeting this past week, and, and one of the elders was giving a devotional, and there was a line in there talking about God's spirit that I think captures this. And the author said, God, God sends his spirit 
not to keep the disciples safe, but to make them more dangerous. God sends a spirit not to make his disciples comfortable, but to make them more dangerous. The disciples, they wanted their external circumstance. They wanted things made comfortable for them, them to feel like winners. And, and, God says, that's, and Jesus says, that's not what I'm doing. I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to do something through you. And it's not going to be comfortable. And it's not going to be safe. But it will be something powerful that could have never happened without my presence, without my spirit operating inside of you. They say, will you change the circumstances of our lives? And Jesus says, I'm going to change your heart and do something in the hearts of the people around you. And then uh, this final scene, which I find, this is one of my more favorite scenes in the book of Acts. And there's a lot of really good scenes. Uh, Verse 9, this is what happens next. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So, um, I, I just, I have... Like, imagine this in your mind. Play it out like a movie in your mind. These, uh, these guys are gathered around Jesus. They're on the, this hilltop next to Jerusalem where they've hung out with Jesus a lot of times before. But this time in this conversation, there's probably a finality to it. There's a sense of, you, you know, when you're with somebody, you're saying the last thing. You don't know when you're going to see him again. You're saying these last words. And then um, they, they've said these words to each other. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes, he's just going up in the air. And these guys are like, Wait, what? Where are you going? What? Beam us up too. Wait, ah! And he's going up in the air. And then the disciples are standing around like, ah, I think he went beyond a cloud up there. I still see a speck. I think I can, I don't know. Is that a bird? Do you remember what he was wearing? Oh, it was the white with the blue sash. Same thing he always wears. And they're like, and then, and then these, these, these two men in white show up, which we presume are angels. And, you know, the 12 guys, they're all standing in a circle looking at the sky. And these, these angels say, what are you guys staring in the sky for? And, uh, and they're like, Jesus just went all rocketeer. We don't know where he is. And, and, and they, what are, you, what are you staring in the sky for? Why are you just standing there looking at the sky? And the implication is, he, you, there's work to do. This is not just standing around staring in the sky. Jesus, there, Jesus gave you instructions. There's work to be done. Jesus has only begun to do and teach things. Jesus has more to do. He has more to teach. And you are key players in it. He wants to do it through you. What are you, what are you standing staring at the sky for? Luke, he, he bases this This idea that Jesus has only begun to do and to teach things, that he has more to do through his followers, that he has more to teach to his followers, this idea that it's not, there's more to come. This for Luke, it's not just kind of a a hope. He bases this off of these historical events, these two key things, the ascension and the giving of the Spirit. For Luke, the ascension means that Jesus has gone to the throne at the center of the universe. He is king. 
and the giving of the Spirit, that somehow, mysteriously, Jesus is still present, doing things and teaching things by His Holy Spirit. Luke says He's only begun to do and to teach things. There's more to come. I want to transition now. And what I'd like to do is uh, give us some time together to reflect on this. I'd like to give us some time to, to consider what this might mean uh, for our lives, for our families, for our friendships, for our small groups, for our church. What it might mean that Jesus has only begun to do and teach things. And he has more to do, is more to teach in 2015. Um. You know, as you think about it, as you think about uh, those first disciples that lived through this, they were living through a transition time in their lives, a hinge moment. They They had walked with Jesus for three years. They had seen him do things, seen him teach things, seen him perform miracles. They watched him arrested, executed, and raised from the dead. But now he was physically departing from them, and a whole new season of life was beginning. And I think for those early disciples, it would be easy to wonder, is the best behind us? Is it ever going to be like the good old days again? I mean, could, the, could, could what's coming next really even hope to compare to what Jesus has already done? And I think Jesus says to those disciples, he says, I am king at the center of the universe. I am, I am with you by my spirit. I've only begun to do things through you. And teach you things. And likewise to the first readers, the people that Luke wrote this book to, that as they watched the eyewitnesses, those key players in, in the early Jesus movement passing away, I think it would be easy for the, the readers of the book of Luke to say, uh, those were the good old days. It'll never be like then again. It's never going to be as good as it was back then. The best days are behind us. We can just remember the good old times. And I think uh, Jesus, through the book of Luke, is saying to that early church, he's saying, because they were too, they were at this transition time, this hinge moment, as that first generation was passing away. And I think he was saying to them, I've only begun to do and teach things. I am still king on the throne of the universe. I am still present, mysteriously working by my spirit. I'm still doing things, and I'm still teaching things. There is more to come. And so for us, you know, as we, we, we have just recently closed the chapter on 2014 and wrapped up another year and we're moving into 2015. And I think it'd be good uh, to take time individually as families, as a church, to pause and say, what might Jesus have to, what, what is it that he's going to continue to do and to teach to us, to our families, to our small groups, to, our ch- to us as a church into this next year? So uh, on your notes, if you want to take a look at that, there's two questions on this sheet of paper. And we'll also put the questions up on the screen above. But the two, I, want to, I want to encourage you to reflect on two questions. Do we have, Aaron, do we have those questions? Yeah. The first one is a looking back question. It's about 2014. And it's basically this. As you look back on 2014, as you look back on the last year, what was it that Jesus began to do in your heart in 2014 that you're thankful for? 
As you look back on 2014, what was it that he began to teach you that you're thankful for? And, and I think it's good to start and think about your own individual life, but then also expand it out into the, in the community around you. Think about your marriage or your housemates or your friends. Think about your small group or your core or us corporately as a church. But in 2014, what are the places that you saw Jesus doing things that you're thankful for? What are the places that you saw Jesus teaching things that you're thankful for in 2014? I think it's good to take a moment to pause and reflect and remember and to celebrate. And so the first question I want us to reflect on here in a few moments is, looking back at 2014, what are the things you saw Jesus begin to do and to teach in 2014 that you're thankful for? And then the second question, after you reflect, would be a forward-looking question. It would be a question looking into what Jesus is going to continue to do in 2015. And I would caution us as we do this, as we look ahead into the future, look into 2015, I would caution us not to make the same mistake of the disciples. Because I think our first instinct as we think about next year is to follow the disciples' path and say, well, in the next year I hope Jesus changes my circumstances to make my life more comfortable for me. I hope he changes this external circumstance to to make my life easier for me. But like the disciples, Jesus says to us, let's worry about about what I'm going to do in your heart by my spirit. Let's talk about what I'm going to, how my presence is going to be with you and what I'm going to do through you, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to shape your heart next year. Because when Jesus sends a spirit, he sends a spirit not to make his disciples safer, more comfortable. He sends a spirit to make us more dangerous. Ultimately, Jesus' spirit is not about Jesus getting in line with us. It's about us getting in line with Jesus. So the second question, this forward-looking question, what do you hope, what do you dream that Jesus would do in your heart in 2015? What do you hope Jesus would teach you in 2015? What do you hope Jesus would do in your heart, do through you to affect the hearts of others in your family in 2015? What do you hope Jesus would do in the hearts of your small group members, your core members in 2015? What do you hope Jesus would do in the heart of our, us as a church in 2015? So the second question is about, is about this expectation, the anticipation that Jesus has more to do and to teach. And it's looking forward into the next year, in 2015. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to invite the, uh, the worship team back up now. And they're going to they're gonna, uh, play a little, uh, they're just going to jam a little bit, play a little background music and give you a chance. You can pray over those questions. You can write on, on that piece of paper, kind of answers to those questions. Um, but I encourage us to pause because Jesus has more to do. He has more to teach in 2015. So let me pray for us, um, and then I'll allow you to, uh, to kind of reflect on those questions. Jesus, um, I thank you um, that uh, your story isn't just something that happened, um, but it happens um, and will continue to happen. Jesus, I thank you that you didn't just work back then and there, but you work here and now. I thank you that you are here this morning and you have things to say to us. You have things to do in our hearts. Give us more hope. Give us more anticipation. Give us more expectation that we 
could see what you're up to moving into the future. We trust you with our tomorrow. In your name, amen.